Good morning. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the disciples a yoke that neither we nor our fathers have been able to bear? Acts 15.10. Tonight there will be a business meeting to discuss uh, the possibility of a a sale of some of our property in the back, um, and then uh, the video series um, uh, uh, as we have been doing Bring your finger foods. So if you don't know, we own seven acres. It goes a little bit like this where the church is, and then it turns and goes almost all the way back to Thornville Road. And it's just kind of been sitting there forever. And so there's some interest in uh, somebody buying some of that property. Prayer meeting Wednesday at 7. See Andrea's number there for contact person. Sunday, April the 7th, after (coughs) communion, We'll be enjoying pizza and a movie in Fellowship Hall. Bring a dish to pass, and uh, afterwards, an Easter egg hunt for the children. Friends, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren are welcome. Sign up on the Helps Board uh, for the pizza order. Helps Board is this one right out at the door here. Uh, If you'd like to donate candy for the uh, Easter egg hunt, a box uh, will be provided in the foyer. New Acts and Facts are here for March. Days of Praise booklets are also here uh, for the next quarter. They're on the foyer table. Ladies Retreat coming March 29 and 30. Uh, So that's coming up quick. Flyers on the foyer table. It looks like this. (laughs) Um, If you uh, are planning on attending that, there's a short meeting right there after service today. I suspect that'll be about carpooling and things like that. So if you can be in on that, it'd be great. Um, There's a financial note there, and I think that's it. Anything else I've missed, forgotten? Scripture for meditation in this morning is found in Acts, the 15th chapter. Read 5 through 21.
Let's stand and ask the Lord to bless our service. Phil, would you open for us? Father in heaven, as we come to you this morning, we know that we are few in number. But Lord, we also know that where two or more gather, your presence is felt. Your Holy Spirit lives with us even now. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be still, quiet, comforted by this thought. Our Lord in worship and praise and bring petitions uh, lay at your feet that you would find favor with, that you would meet them and approve and grant these petitions. Watch over and protect us through this hour. Have your spirit continue to commune with us and embrace us and hold us up. Give us comfort. Lord, we think for a moment this family in Emily City who lost the the children in the fire. The parents are in the hospital. We pray that your grace and your comfort and your love would be upon them. That you would watch over the remnant of that family and would give support. Now, Father, we ask that you be with our pastor as he brings forth the message. Let the message convict the heart and soul of the lost. And let it reaffirm those of us, Lord, Please take your red hymnal, the Trinity hymnal, and turn to number 141, 141 in the red.
good night. Yes, Naomi. I'm going to change my answer. 15 in the purple. <laughs> what What's the song, honey? song to be stuck in your head. Yes. Two times. We will sing this two times. It's a call and response if we remember. I don't have much of a voice, so strong singers pick both. <laughs> Hannah and Joe Jazz <laughs> sing both, sing loud. from Winter Blast, just a few weeks late here, but we want to hear what, what went on. We want to hear This year's speaker was Giles Heron, and we talked about God's will revealed. Um, I'm going to talk about our second day. Uh, we were talking about the decrees and commands in God's will. Um, there's also a secret will, and we were talking about can we know the secret will that God has given us. Um, there are two ways in which God shows the uh, stuff of his secret will, and those are his decrees and commands. Um, his decree is talking about God made these before the foundations of the earth. Nothing can be changed. Um, uh, his commands, God has given uh, this to us 
through his prophets and the apostles. Um, he, we also had, I think, only one sheet for devotions. The girls' cabin had really good questions about the actual questions, and there was a lot of debate in them. It was really nice to hear um, what the ideas that the girls could come up with. Good morning. Um, this was my sixth year at Winter Blast. We had 24 kids, and there were quite a few new people. Um, because we had so much ice this year, most of our outdoor activities were canceled. But that was really OK, because um, uh, we got to bond more with the people who we don't get to see at summer camp. And it was really nice to just be there with um, people who believe the same things as you do. Um, this year, as Rachel already said, our speaker was Giles Heron, and his topic was God's will. Um, we all know that God has divine will. Um, Giles gave us a bunch of verses, and one of the verses that I liked that talked about his will um, was Daniel 4.32. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth to whomever he will. <clears throat> because we know that God is good, Giles asked us, what is good? Do we have a heart set on, on obeying God? He also gave us a word that I am not able to pronounce, um, but the word means um, to bring out good in one's life that is pleasing to God. We please God by obeying his commandments and fulfilling his righteous will. Giving the gospel to those who need it is always right. Recently, I had the pleasure of visiting another church. Surprisingly enough, the pastor spoke there about God's will. At least that was the name of his sermon. He spent time talking about how to appear Christian to the world. He did not speak of how to please God or what the Lord says in the Bible. I am very thankful for Giles and uh, his topic that he did this year. All right. Um, lots covered, so mostly just going to be repeating. Um, this year, the preacher was Giles Heron. Uh, one thing, the very first question Giles came up with today was, what is will? Pretty much covered that the first day. It's the desire to do something, and then we talked about one other thing that very first night. What is God's will? Froze everybody. I don't think anybody really answered it, but there were a lot of good answers that some kids came up with. God has a certain will that men cannot have. It's, Giles did a very good job of explaining it, and unfortunately for me, I can't. <laughs> but uh, that really stuck out to me, and this year it was a lot of fun, and I learned a lot. Well, all the notes that I have written down has mostly been covered, but... Um... <laughs> the main focus of Winter at Blast was, again, the will of God. Um, uh, there are the um, decrees of God, which are made before the foundation of the world. Uh, we learned that those were the prophesied ones or the things that happened. And there are the commands of him. And the commands are given to us through uh, prophets and apostles. And, and um, I had a lot of fun at camp. <laughs> Um, so hi, I didn't really come prepared with a lot of notes, but um, uh, 
like everybody else has said, we talked about um, God's will at winter camp, and we learned about his will of decree and his revealed will. And his will of decree is, um, like Lydia said, the things that he's laid down before the foundation of the earth, like us being here and um, our life. And then his revealed will, will are things that um, are that we know that we can do that are in his will, like praying or um, reading the Bible, helping others, things that we know are in his will. Um, so that was the um, topic that we learned about. And we learned about what God's will is and um, how we can obey his will. Um, and then it was lots of fun to be at winter camp and um, have fun with all these kids um, and learn about the Lord with them. Um, so yeah, it was really fun. I did not. Um, I didn't take notes this that weekend. Um, I'd like to say it's because I had a four-year-old with me, um, so we're going to stick with that. But the uh, camp, what I really enjoyed. They they all spoke about the messages and the really really good messages. They were great messages. Jaws does a great job of engaging the kids and getting them to to listen and understand things that are hard to understand. And um, he does a really good job of that. But what I really enjoyed watching this that weekend, I think Lydia or Hannah hit on it, Hannah, um, the kids getting together, they get to see them during the summer camp, and they spend a week together. But the fostering of the friendship at the Winter Blast is just neat to see. They haven't seen each other, and they're like, oh, they're going to remember me, they're going to like me. And one of my kids especially said, I don't know if that person's going to end get together, and they're hugging, and they're loving on each other, and they're supporting one another, and praying for one another, and just building one another up in, in the things of Christ. And it's really neat to see kids of like faith, because they don't, have a whole lot um, at school or, or here. There's, there's, there's a few, but not many, and it's just really cool to see, and I'm, I'm thankful being able to go and watch that this week, that weekend, even though I was a little hurt, but it was a great weekend. Um, and so I got to go um, as Mercy's chaperone this year and also as um, one of the counselors for the girls. They need a certain number. Um, and um, it's... I'm always grateful every year for the special accommodations that they make for Mercy. Um, this year was no different, and this was the first year for Mercy that we came home and didn't have a seizure cluster or a grand mall, and um, a lot of that goes into the preparation um, that Laura in particular provides for us through making sure she has a separate room, making sure that her room is away from the other kids' room so because their schedule will differ from hers. She gets up later, goes to bed earlier. Um, and, and I'm just thankful for the staff, too, because there are many mornings um, in winter camp where we don't make it to breakfast because she is able to sleep in, which is best for her seizures. I wish she could do that at summer camp. That means somebody has to deliver breakfast to us. And... Dan was there this year, so he's very familiar with the diet, and that worked out great for us. Um, so I'm just thankful for the way that the Lord provided that way. Um, I did appreciate the messages very much. Um, and since most of the general ideas were covered, I guess I would just like to say um, that he was talking to teenagers and young people who are often very confused, and even us adults, about what does God want us to do next? Like, what is his will for my life? 
And um, Giles just kept repeating that even if you like don't have this like cosmic plan for your life and you maybe are working on like what your vocation should be or what career choice you should go into or maybe what your kids should do next if you're a parent, um, that there are revealed things that you can wake up and do every morning and know that you are in God's will until he reveals the next step of that kind of big piece that you're looking for. So like he went through, you know, all the scripture verses that talk about God's will and, and associate it with a, a behavior of Christians, like mercy said, praying or treasuring the eternal more than the temporal, that you can wake up every morning and know that it's his will for you to love him with all your heart and soul and mind and apply that to whatever your task is for the day and to love others as yourselves and apply that to your task for the day. So instead of making it some kind of a big thing like we try to make it in Christian circles to kind of break it down into more bite-sized pieces. Um, and then just as a, as a fun way of kind of explaining how our teachers bring those concepts home to the kids, um, he made an analogy with The Princess Bride, and I don't know how many of you have seen that movie, but it's kind of a classic from my generation. And the movie starts out, there's this servant boy and this woman that he... Um, adores, but you don't know that he adores her, except that she's kind of, she's kind of um, ignorant to that fact, and she um, is his boss. She tells him to do stuff all the time, but, and she's kind of rude about it. Fetch me a pillow of water, boy, and you know, go grab this for me, boy, and, and his response to her is always, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish, and you find out at the end of the movie that that was his way of saying, I love you. And um, Giles said, when our attitude towards God is that, as you wish, as you wish, as you wish, um, not that God has the snotty attitude that the girl in the movie did, but it's that he gives the commands, and our attitude of love to him is always as you wish. And as long as that's your attitude in life, and that's how you're pursuing your goals in life, then you will be in God's will. I also want to just say thank you real quick to Laura. Um, she's not here today, but maybe she's watching or she can watch the recording. Um, this was her last year. Um, I don't even. She didn't even get a name. I don't even think she has a title. Um, but I, I think she should be called the assistant director because basically, camp doesn't happen and, and would not have happened without her for the past ten years. So I'm very grateful for her, and I wish I could say more without being emotional about it. But I've talked to her about it, and I think as a church we should say thank you to her. For what she did to, for our children. Uh, similar to what Jess was saying, um, that as we're figuring out what God's will is, um, one of the, th the verses that struck me that Giles pointed out was uh, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. And um, Giles and I counseled all the all the guys and the, old, um, the older guys and a really great group of uh, young men. And we had really good uh, discussion on, in the uh, evenings, um, even discussions about, um, you know, not whether like I should do something bad or something good. It's I have two good choices in front of me. How do, how do I figure that out? Which one God wants me to do? Um, I just had a blessed, a blessed weekend. It was very, very, very good. And thank you for your prayers.
Uh, we had a good week, as you can hear, just from the testimony of our campers and from our counselors and such. Um, God protected us again from most most of us from injury. Uh, Andrea walked away with a, a cracked rib that she's still nursing, and uh, again, the, the the potential for bad injuries happening. God was uh, gracious to us there. I thought that the, the kids were attentive and listening. One of the things that I enjoy when I'm in the back and uh, watching how things are going is some of the questions the kids have. I don't hear their um, devotional time, but you know the speakers give the kids a chance to, to talk. And I think it was the second or third session, one of the younger kids brought up, and I wrote it down in my notes, and it said, do Christians ever get tired of trying to obey all these commands from God? And Giles handled that pretty well, and I think that's when he was starting to talk about the Princess Bride analogy, that, you know, it, it is difficult for us to obey, let alone rejoice, while we're, we're obeying. And you think about your own time in your own house as a child, or with if you were the parents, and thinking about the kids, and how often were you had to give, get, receive a command from your parents, or give, and it was out of duty or obligation, or those kind of things, and... And, and it's only when we obey willingly and out of love that the relationship is correct. Think about how it's going to be in heaven when things are spoken to us and we cheerfully obey. So it was neat to hear that and to know that the kids are thinking about what's going on. It's not very basic things. I think we sell our children out short often. We think that they need really basic instruction. God is the teacher. God is the person, the spirit within them that teaches them. They have good ideas. And they have good ideas because God's teaching them. Okay, and good questions. And I think we just need as a church, and of course, to, to rely on the spirit of God to do the teaching. I'm encouraged by these things. Our kids are thinking. And they're thinking because God's working in their hearts. Amen. My kids are invested in that too. I'm glad to see it and hear it. Um, as the official director, and I use that in quotations too, of the SGBA camp program, I am very thankful for Laura. She's not here to be recognized, and that would be, again, apropos, kind of, because she works behind the scenes so much, and uh, uh, she has worked tirelessly. And we knew going into it years ago that my time was going to be very limited. I seemed to be the right person for, at the time to, to spearhead things because of being a teacher. But as Jess said, these things would not have been nearly as smooth or running properly without Laura. She leaves behind a tremendous gap. And brethren, camp for the summer is approaching. The deadline hasn't changed. We have just lost a, a member that is necessary. So my challenge to us as a church who seems to spearhead this mission field for the SGBA is that we need to take over that position and maybe not one person I think maybe the, the amount of work that she did needs to be spread out and so at the end of this report I'm, I'm asking for you to consider what God will have you do so that camp can continue um, we have two opportunities a year for us to minister to these kids from our church and from others and to provide them solid teaching and the chances have you heard for them to interact with other kids of like faith I can't tell you how beneficial it is, but I can tell you that it is tremendously beneficial. I've seen the fruits of it, and I think we need to do our best to continue as long as God wills us to do so. Until he says, okay, it's time for the torch to pass from Thornville to another, we seem to be the church who is in charge. 
of this very important mission. Okay, and, and let's not be coy about the fact that this is a mission field. Okay, we have lost kids that come to camp and they need the gospel. Okay, and our church is directly working along those lines. So be, be praying about what God's will would be in your life and if it would be that his will that you'd be taking a more active part and role in the planning and the executing, if you will, of the camp for the SGBA. All right, thank you. Thank you. Scripture reading this morning uh, comes from 1 Peter, the first chapter, and we'll be reading verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12. Oh, yeah, thanks. I'll stand to read God's word. Again, 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, 1887 in the Pew Bible. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you. By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, even angels long to look into these things. Amen. Take your red hymnal again and turn to number 570, 570 in the red.
Our text is 1 Peter chapter 1. We're looking at verses 10 through 12. In our last study, we considered the salvation that the Old Testament prophets foretold. It says in our text that they were perplexed about the timing, about the circumstances of the events, that the Spirit in them was predicting, and they had to try to figure out how this all pieces together. Um, But God calmed their hearts by telling them that they were not serving themselves, but us. Can you think about that? The brethren of the future day, us in the last days. That's who the prophets were ministering to. Shows the timelessness of God's word, that something spoken back in Old Testament days would reflect upon us in our day, talking about two things, primarily the for Christ sufferings we looked at, and but the glories to follow. It's not always going to be suffering. There's going to be a redemption day that is coming. Now this morning we want to look at the subject of the apostolic gospel, the apostolic gospel, which simply means the gospel that was preached by the apostles of Christ in the New Testament. Let's ask for the Lord's enablement. Father, we thank you for your word. We've already seen, too, how your word has affected our young people, the teaching that they receive at camp and through our ministries here at the church. We're so thankful for that and thankful for every uh, person that uh, labors among our kids to uh, bring them the truth and to charge them to come to Christ. And when they do come to Christ, to feed them and to strengthen them so that they might uh, become adults and leaders for the future. We also thank you, Lord, for those here today that support ministries like this. And we thank you, Father, for your word and the fact that we are people who love your word and love the truth. Not false apostles, not false prophets, but we're able to sort out by your spirit what is truth. Bless us in this hour, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're looking this morning at the subject of the apostolic gospel. You say, well, what's that? Well, it's the gospel that the apostles of our Lord preached in his day and age. You say, well, why is that important? Because there are many gospels out there that aren't good news, by the way. Uh, we're studying some of that on Sunday night in the video series, so if If you're missing out on that, I encourage you to come and just see what's being taught. This this video has to do with what's being taught in America in the name of, of the gospel. And when we contrast that, that we're hearing on the tape for these various preachers, when we contrast that to what we see in the scriptures written by the apostles themselves, there's a great gap and there's a great a discrepancy. The apostles taught one thing, the new guys in our day are teaching something else, and uh, they can't be right. It's the word of God that's right. And so come on, I encourage you to come out for that. Well, the apostolic gospel has to do with a new covenant reality. Peter, in writing to his people, tells them that what the prophets wrote about 
the suffering for the sake of Christ and then the glories that would follow, verse 12, have now, and these are Peter's words, have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you. So the time of the fulfillment of these prophecies has come. The new covenant has replaced the old, and with it God's apostles, among whom Peter is one, have now been faithfully been preaching the realities to their, to their people. It's always heartening to see God keeping his word. This is how God's people are emboldened in their faith and to keep on believing and keep on trusting the God who has spoken. I remind you at this point of the test of a true prophet, which applies either to Old Testament prophets or the New Testament prophet, doesn't matter. But it's given by God to Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Here's what he says. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses, from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must be put to death. Wow, pretty serious stuff. You may say to yourselves, well, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? That's a good question. Don't you think people should ask that? They should. You should be inquiring about whether this, is this true or, you know, anybody can stand up and say, God told me to tell you. Boy, we're hearing a lot of that in our day. God told me to tell you. And then we have to listen to a bunch of garbage that doesn't compare with the word of God. And since God is a God of truth and not self-contradictory, somebody's wrong. And guess what? It isn't God and his word. So the question is, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? He gives this answer. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Deuteronomy 18 Verse 18 and following. This is a simple test, isn't it? When we're talking about prophetic content. It's a simple but irrefutable test. It's simple but is devastatingly accurate. Here it is. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, this is the message the Lord has not spoken. That's pretty simple. It's presumption. And such a prophet, by the way, they were commanded to put him to death for speaking lies. Just because you can take God's name and attach it to something that's being said doesn't make it so. We have to be discerning. Notice here that God's prophets are 100% accurate every time, all the time, Without exception, so any so-called prophet who does not fill this bill is bogus. He is a liar. He's not to be feared or obeyed. Why? Because what he has done is 
He has made up a story and then he's added God's name to it to give the impression that God is the author of something that he was not author of. By the way, we're learning some of that on Sunday night at the video. These preachers that make up stories and then they attach God's name to it. And they say, see, and and they come to us and they want us to believe and give money and all of those various things to people who have misrepresented God. By the way, the Old Testament had its share of lying prophets as well in Israel's history. Let me read some of this for you. Jeremiah 29. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty The God of Israel says, Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. Listen to that. Lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Jeremiah 29, verse 8 and 9. Old Testament times. And these guys going around (laughs) saying, well, I got a message for you from God. And then they'd give whatever it was they were going to say. And they would attach God's name to it. And the people are going, oh, wow, oh, yeah, oh. And Jeremiah is saying, don't do that. Be discerning. Did what they say come true? No. Then they were lying to you. But they used God's name. Well, anybody can use God's name. Now bring that into the New Testament. We have that going on in America, everywhere, in probably every state, every almost every town. Somebody is saying something in the name of God that has no merit. Again, Jeremiah 14, 14. Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them. I have not appointed them. I have not spoken to them. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, idolatries, and the delusions of their own minds. I like that. That Doesn't that say it all? They're they're giving you a dose of their own delusions. What's that? That's, Peter says, they're stories they've made up. They wouldn't do that. Would they they do that? Yeah, they would do that. Because Satan is a person that masquerades as an angel of light. He's the angel of death and darkness and anything else you can think of in terms of adjectives. So the issue here seems to have been that the exile of Israel to Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar, that's what was given forth, but the people didn't want to hear that. They were being told, you're going to go into exile. I'm determined that you're going into exile. And they didn't want to hear that. Don't tell us bad things that are going to happen to us. Tell us good things. And if you have any bad things to say, just keep your mouth quiet and don't talk to us. So that's what was going on. So Jeremiah says in chapter 27, 
I gave the same message to Zedekiah, king of Judah. I said, now here's what, he, here's what Jeremiah told the king. Bow your neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon. Serve him and his people and you will live. Why will you and your people die by the sword, by famine, by plague? with which the Lord has threatened any nation that will not serve the king of Babylon. Do not listen to the words of the prophets who say to you, you will not serve the king of Babylon, for they are prophesying lies to you. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They are prophesying lies in my name, Therefore I will banish you and you will perish, both you and the prophets who prophesy to you. Jeremiah 27, verse 12 and following. This was a period in Israel's history when God was going to chasten them for the very fact that they had deserted God. The chastening was going to be that they go into captivity by the Babylonians. So the false prophets come along and say, Ah, that's not going to happen! You don't need to worry about that. You'll be just fine. Well, they were the liars. You know, sometimes God prophesies bad things happening to his people. Why would he do that? Well, because of our sin. Because he he plans to chasten us. But they don't want to hear that. Ah, we don't want to hear that. They wanted to hear pleasantries. More specifically, Zedekiah was told to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Zedekiah is the king of Israel at this time. Surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, and he and his people would be spared, but he would not listen to the truth. He preferred the warm and fuzzy comfort of the lying prophets. Guess what happened? Oh, this is terrible. The Babylonians, they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes. And they bound him with bronze shekels. And they took him to Babylon. See, he didn't want to hear that. 2 Kings 25 verse 7. The last thing this king witnessed with his eyes was the execution of his own children. How horrible. What a waste. I mean, what a travesty. Why? All because he preferred the pleasant words of the lying prophets to the bold, unsettling message of Jeremiah. You know, sometimes the word of God comes to and it's not all pleasant, is it? Some, sometimes God chastises us. And in his honesty, he says, it's coming. You're going to be whipped. You're going to get a good spanking here. And we say, no, 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 no. We don't want to hear that. Just like little kids do. Only God's not playing. And Israel underwent great, great heartache. And then we come to the New Testament gospel declaration. And as we come... To, back to our text. Peter is telling his readers and us 
that what the Old Testament prophets predicted, the New Testament preachers have told them in the declaration of the gospel. The day of reality has come, and they knew it. They were experiencing, he tells them, the four Christ sufferings. That's the way the Greek is worded here. You are experiencing the four Christ sufferings, which had been on the eschatological timetable for centuries. When the gospel was first proclaimed in the first century, it's important to note that the apostles, the pastors, the evangelists did not attempt to make Christianity appear to be the panacea for all the ills these believers had been experiencing at the hands of evil men. Oh, this is gonna, we're going to come into this age of great panacea and everything, everything's going to be wonderful and sweet. No. The preachers of that day, New Testament day, told the truth. And they did not candy coat what it would mean to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Say, well, where'd they get that? From Jesus. Jesus taught, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Matthew 5, verse 10 and verse 12. Or again, he predicted, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And at that time, many will turn away from the faith. Oh, no, no. And will betray and hate each other. Really? And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Matthew 24, verses 7 through 11. People don't want to hear this. But Jesus is telling the truth. Again, he says, remember the words I spoke to you. No servant, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours as well. So with these predictions of Jesus... How could the apostles be true to Christ and say something totally opposite? Peace, peace, when there's no peace. Well, they didn't say anything opposite. That's the point. They only confirmed Jesus' words. Paul to the Thessalonian church, we sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you know. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 2 and 5. The apostles just told it like it was. Again, to Timothy he wrote, 
You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kind of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra? Those are towns. The persecutions that I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, in Christ Jesus, will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10 and following. Paul is telling Timothy, hey, you know, I taught, taught you all along, young preacher, that the days were coming when you will be persecuted if you're trying to live a godly life. And guess what? The evil men and the imposters... What's going to happen to them? Well, they're going to go from bad to worse, deceiving, being deceived. In other words, they're going to go on with their deceptive lives. You're going to be persecuted, not them. <laughs> they're going to prosper, not you. Because that's the world in which we live. Two chapters later in Peter, he writes to these people, but if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. 1 Peter 2, verse 20, 21. Or again, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you're blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed Praise God that you bear that name. 1 Peter 4, verse 12 and following. So they're suffering for Christ. And if it is for Christ, don't be ashamed about that. Just accept it as the will of God. And think of it as a real testimony to where you are spiritually. So clearly, the New Testament preachers of the gospel did not hide from their hearers the truth that in becoming followers of Jesus, they would experience persecution and trials for their faith. They fulfilled in message what the Old Testament prophets had foretold would be the lot of God's people in the latter days. Well, they told it true. They stayed true to the word of God. They did not become purveyors of what I call soft cell gospel. You know what that is. We're learning about that on Sunday night on the video. Soft cell gospel is the health, wealth, and happiness gospel. Come to Jesus and everything will be fine. You'll get rich. You'll be able to buy the most wonderful house. You can drive the best cars. Your kids can go to the best schools. Come to Jesus and all will be well. Now, if you come to Jesus, you're in trouble because the world hates Jesus 
and it therefore hates the followers of Jesus. So they didn't preach a false soft cell gospel, nor did they invent their own prophecies like the Mormons have done and the Jehovah's Witnesses have done and then attach God's name to those prophecies. No, they just told their hearers that to become a follower of Jesus Christ spelled trouble for them all. But the gospel, to be good news, cannot all be doom and gloom. No. There has to be a silver lining on the rain cloud somewhere. And my oh my, there is. Praise God, there is. So the Holy Spirit comes in the gospel and he reveals some gospel mysteries to us. And these are important. By the way, we are living in the age of the Spirit, are we not? This is His day. Old Testament, God the Father. New Testament, Jesus Christ and His ministry. And now the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Well, it be true that the Old Testament prophets predicted the four Christ sufferings and the glories to follow, verse 11 of our text, to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing, it also is true that the fullest understanding of the gospel had to await the new covenant age of the Spirit sent from heaven. The New Testament authors were aware a change had to come. Let me give you some of this. John wrote, The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, referring to Christ. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me, he has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever even seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. John 1, verse 14 and following. The writer of Hebrews says, Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what? would be said in the future. But, but, Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. So you got Moses the servant, but then you have Christ the son. And we are his house, the writer says, if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. Hebrews 3, verse 5 and 6. Or Paul in Colossians, now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not steadily look upon the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit 
be even more glorious. If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, that's the law, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7 and following. So all this change was quite true, but even the apostles, even with the apostles, Jesus could take them only so far in their understanding. And that's why he told them in John 14, I will ask the Father, and the Father will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. John 14, verse 16 and following. And the way Jesus comes to us is through his spirit. He relinquishes his spirit upon the church. He goes on to say in John 15, next chapter, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. John 15, verse 26. Going on to the next chapter, John 16. I have much more to say to you. He's talking to his disciples. More than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me, Jesus, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. John 16, verse 12 and following. Jesus informed the disciples that his ascension to the Father was pivotal for the outpouring of the Spirit. He says in John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth, it's for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. John 16, verse 7. Well, of course, because the Spirit he sends to us, the church, is his Spirit that animated him while he was here on earth. So he returns to glory and he relinquishes his Spirit upon the church. You know, one of the defects of the Old Covenant was the lack of understanding the people had of God and His Word, and along with it, the ability to obey God's commands. The New Covenant changed all that. The writer of Hebrews quotes the Old Testament prophecy of Jeremiah to point out its fulfillment. He says, The ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator, is superior to the old one. And it's founded on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, that's the Old Testament, no place would have been sought for another covenant. But God found fault with the people. 
Oh, there's the rub. Nothing wrong with the covenant, but there was something wrong with the people. He goes on. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. That would be all of Israel. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I see as opposed to being written on tablets of stone. I will be their God. They will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, Well, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord, know the Lord. No, 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 no. Because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness. And will remember their sins no more. And by calling this covenant, I'm still reading scripture. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. Acts 8, verse 6 and 5. Now, there was nothing wrong with the old covenant. The covenant. What was wrong (laughs) in the Old Testament days was the people. They didn't have a heart to believe. They didn't have a faith to understand. So the covenant, good as it was, had no effect. So what is this business of God's word being in the mind and in the heart of God's people? Well, these are new covenant realities. It's a reference to the work of Jesus' spirit as a result of sending him from heaven, verse 12 of our text. That's what it's going to take. God is going to have to come into a person's life to empower them to be obedient and to live holy lives. Jesus' explanation as to why certain people in his day understood his words while others did not understand him Here's his explanation. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. And he went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the father has enabled him. John 6, verse 63 and following. That's what it's going to take for people to become believers. This enablement to believe Jesus, this enablement to understand his teaching, comes from none other than the Holy Spirit, which God sends into the lives of his people. So that's something new. In the Old Testament, the law was written on stone. The people were charged Obey, obey. This is God's word. Obey. They read it and did not obey. So why didn't they obey? They had no heart to obey. No inclination. 
They wanted to do their own things. You remember what happened on the day the law was given at Mount Sinai? Moses comes down from the mountain. He's got the tablets of stone. The law is written on that. What are the people doing? They're having a high old party at the bottom of the hill. And the party involves all kinds of sexual immorality and drunkenness and greed and you name it, it was going on. They had no heart, no mind to believe what was written on the tablets of stone. The truth was there. They could see it. They could read it. They just couldn't obey it. So God says, enough of that. From now on, I'm writing the law on their hearts and in their minds. Forget the tablets of stone. I'll write it where it counts. In their thinking. In their persuasions. And I'm going to do it by way of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, this, Paul says it this way. It is written, No eye has seen no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we may understand what God has freely given us. 1 Corinthians 2, verses 9 and following. Well, that's the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy that everyone would know the Lord because they would have a resident teacher living within. John said something very similar. Dear children, he says, this is the last hour, and you know... Excuse me, you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. And this is how we know it is the last hour. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it. And because no lie comes from the truth. 1 John 2, verse 18 and following. So among the deception and the lies, John says, I'm writing to you because I, I, I know that I will have import with you because you guys know the truth. You, you have a discerning heart, a discerning mind. Now there are certain gospel mysteries that have come into our world that baffle the angels. Not only men, but angels. God saves sinner men. God saves sinner women. But he doesn't save sinner angels. Whoa. It's like the door has been shut and sealed on the angels that sinned against God. Sin did not begin with Adam and Eve on earth, but with Satan in heaven, who led an attempted coup with one-third of the angelic host. 
There was a tremendous battle with Michael, the archangel, as the champion of God, heading the expulsion of Satan and his host from heaven. So the battle raged, but Satan was not strong enough. I'm reading scripture. And they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Revelation 12 verse 8 and 9. Or again the writer of Hebrews says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy who holds the power of death that is the devil. And free those who all of their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like his brothers. He's talking about Christ in every way. In order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Hebrews 2 verse 14 and following. Frankly, the devil and his angels are doomed. The scripture says, I'm reading 2 Peter 2, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. The Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. Again, 2 Peter 2, verses 4 and following. The book of Jude, verse 6. The angels who did not keep their position of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains, for judgment on the great day. So the angels were expelled from heaven. The the wicked angels now we're talking about. They were expelled from heaven, chained, put in prison cells, and there they remain. Secondly, God used angels to mediate the law, but Christ mediates the gospel which replaces the law. In Galatians 3, Paul writes, What then was the purpose of the law? It was added because of transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was put into effect through angels by a mediator. Or again, we read in Deuteronomy. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. That's another mountain. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He, gave, he came with myriads of holy ones. From the south, the holy ones are the angels, from the mountain slopes. Surely it is you who love the people. All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down, and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave, the possession of the assembly of Jacob. Deuteronomy 33. Or Stephen writes, You have received the law that was put into effect through angels, but you haven't obeyed it. Acts 7, verse 53. So the angels mediated the giving of the law. 
But we read Christ is the mediator of a new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died at a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. Hebrews 9 verse 15. Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. Of course, it's his blood. It's his life that was lost. Thus we read from the writer of Hebrews, So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, Well, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That never happened. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. Was that ever said to angels? No. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. See that great distinction? Hebrews 1, verse 4 and following. And yet this one, who is none other than God's son, mediating the new covenant on his own without using servant angels, The writer says, in speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels wings, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Hebrews Hebrews 1, verse 7 and 8. What I'm saying here is that it baffles angels that God would send his very own son to mediate a new covenant that replaced the law for which they had been instrumental with Moses. Why would he do that? Well, there's something wrong with the ability of the people to obey the old covenant. And by the way, thirdly, angels are the servants of the redeemed. Did you know that? We are the redeemed. Did you know the angels are our servants? Let me read it for you. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Sent to serve moi, you, others. That are in the faith. Hebrews 1 verse 14. The annunciation of the virgin birth to Mary. By Gabriel the angel. The annunciation of the birth of Jesus to the shepherds. The warning to Joseph to flee to Egypt. Because of Herod's murderous intent concerning the child Jesus. Peter rescued from beheading in prison. On and on it goes. These are all examples of the angels ministering to God's people who are to inherit eternal life. David confessed, This poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Psalm 34, verse 6 and 7. I wonder if we've uh, probably not given this much thought at all. We just go on with our lives. 
Oh, and Jesus warned his disciples, See to it that you do not look down on one of these little ones, referring to children. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Matthew 18, verse 10. So angels representing... Serving human children. How baffling is that? We talk about, I think this is where it probably came. We talk about guardian angels, right? Well, there is a sense in which that is true. But it's for those who will inherit eternal life. That God watches over them. Fourthly, angel supremacy and rule bows to the authority of the redeemed. This is a great mystery. I'll say it again. Angel supremacy and rule, their authority and rule, bows to the authority of the redeemed, you and me. Let me read it for you. Man is made lower than the angels. We read that a couple times this morning. Yet the writer of Hebrews states, It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking. But there is a place somewhere where someone testified, What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to him. Hebrews 2, verse 5 through 8. With Christ, the God-man, leading the pack, we are told... If we endure, we will also reign with him. 2 Timothy 2, verse 12. Or again, do you not know that the saints will judge the world? Wow. Do you not know? I'm still reading scripture. Do you not know that you will judge angels? How much more the things of this life? 1 Corinthians 6, verse 2 and 3. Wow. These are privileges we don't think about very much. John wrote, Blessed and holy are those who have part in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 20, verse 6. Angels who have exercised authority for centuries under God's directives take a back seat to the authority of the redeemed. And it's not because we're super great. It's because Christ is super great. And he is, it's like, here's the angels. And man is created a little lower than the angels. And God reaches down to that lower level to mankind. And he takes them and goes like this. He brings those redeemed on top of the angels and makes them the masters and rulers over them. Wow, just mind-boggling and then fourthly angels usher in our final redemption 
Let me read it for you. Matthew 24, 31. He will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. Ta-da-ta-da. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 24, verse 31. Or again, 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul writes. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16. Or again in Ephesians 1. Paul says, He made known to the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the time will come for their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven, all things on earth, together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promise, Holy Spirit, who is a deposit Guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Ephesians 1, verse 9 and following. See how we're brought in? Very very baffling. Wonderfully so. It is baffling. It's also humbling to realize that God intends to exalt us lowly, redeemed sinners to the place of honor and glory because of Jesus' redeeming love. So I ask this morning, will you be among that number? Well, you can be. The scripture says, God says, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn my mouth has uttered it in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. All who are ravaged against him and raged will come to him and they will be put to shame. But in the Lord the descendants of Israel will be found righteous and they will exalt. Isaiah 45. Verse 22 and following. Well, that states it. There are two classes of people in the world. Those that rage against God. Their whole life is against God. It's not just their words, but their life. And then there are those who are the children of Abraham, the promised seed, who in faith believe God, trust God, have surrendered to God. And what is a baffling mystery to us is that God has set aside the sinning angels and refuses to help them, refuses to grant them repentance ever in order that he might help the sinning descendants of Abraham, you and me. Faith makes us Abraham's child 
it also makes us an heir of Christ. So if you don't know Christ, trust him today. God is willing to do you benefit over the angels that have fallen into sin. That just blows my mind. Why would he do that? A sinner is a sinner, whether we're a sinning angel or a sinning human beings. And God says, I'm not helping the angels. They sinned, they're doomed. There's no help. They're consigned to the fires of hell. But I will help sinning men who come to me by faith in Christ. Lord, just bless our hearts and help us to be the kind of people that would come to Christ. If we haven't come to Christ, may this be the day. That'll only happen if you come to us. Send your Holy Spirit upon us, we pray. Your deeds are indeed a mystery to us. You have declared that you won't help the angels that have fallen, but you'll help fallen men if they come to Christ. If they'll trust Jesus and his shed blood. Why you won't help angels? I don't know. Maybe because of their exalted position and their exalted privileges? I don't know. I just know what the scripture says. But you've blessed us by opening the doors of glory and inviting us to come and sending your spirit to work in our lives to change our heart and our mind and our thoughts to grant us faith, to grant us repentance and by your saving power draw us into your kingdom. Thank you for that. Thank you for coming to us. We didn't come to you. Thank you for coming to us and being merciful. Amen. Our closing hymn, Trinity 436. Four three six.
Now tonight, we'll continue with the series that we're dealing on the DVD downstairs, dealing with evangelism, as it's called, in America. But also, there's a short business meeting that we'll do prior to the video, and that has to do with the <clears throat> proposal of selling a number of acres. We own about seven acres out here, and it's been there. there's a farmer with an adjoining land. He'd like to buy uh, three acres from us. And so I want to talk to you all about that. And we have better representation on Sunday night than on Wednesday night. So that's why we'll do that tonight. That won't take long. And then uh, we'll, we'll have our finger foods. We'll have our uh, DVD. And we'll see you tonight at 6. Thank you. Thank you.